The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. It was levelling up Secretary Michael Gove doing the rounds this morning. He was asked first to comment on the recent sting by the group led by Donkeys, in which multiple members of Parliament were seen to be asking for up to £10,000 a day to consult for a company which did not exist. A majority of the public believe MPs should not have second jobs. But Gove stressed that although there is a need for transparency regarding MPs and any external work, it was clear that the job being considered in the sting was not technically against the rules. I just want to get your reaction to the sting, the undercover uh, expose by the anti-Brexit group led by Donkeys. Matt Hancock, Kwasi Kwarteng, among other MPs, saying that they would work for a fictional company for £10,000 a day. It's within the rules. Does that mean we should care about the rules? No, I think it's important that, uh, uh, first of all, that we make sure that every MP operates in a way which is transparent. So when members of Parliament do do work uh, which complements the work that they do in the House of Commons, then it's absolutely vital that we know who's paying them, what they earn, and that's what the the register is there for. I think it's also appropriate as well that the Parliamentary uh, Standards Commissioner has the opportunity to investigate and to look at any activity that may uh, cross the line. Uh, On this occasion, uh, I think it's pretty clear that things that uh, were offered and things that were considered were within the rules. But inevitably, uh, all of us will uh, reflect on this and think the the, uh, first duty of a Member of Parliament is towards their constituents. And ultimately, uh, the really important thing is, is an MP delivering for their constituents? Is a Member of Parliament doing everything they can to put public service first? Is the other issue that they didn't seem to do much due diligence on this company, did they, given that it was non-existent? Well, again, uh, you know, the, the, the individuals concerned will have to answer for themselves. Uh, it is the case that there are members of Parliament who do work for um, a variety of organisations that complements what they do. So, for example, Maria Caulfield, Health Minister, also works as a nurse. Dan Poulter, previously a Health Minister, works as a doctor. So it is possible to combine additional activity with your responsibility towards your constituents, but each individual MP must judge for themselves. Is what they're doing something that they can defend? Are they making sure it's transparent and within the rules? But above all, is it the case that they're putting their constituents first? Laura Koonsberg also spoke to Michael Gove about Boris Johnson, who has been questioned by MPs this week over the Partygate scandal. Koonsberg showed Michael Gove a clip from Question Time in which the audience were unanimous in thinking Johnson was not telling the truth. Gove went against the grain, however, saying he believed that Johnson didn't attend the gatherings in a spirit of self-indulgence and that Johnson didn't think he was breaking the rules. Lastly, I want to show you and the audience something that happened this week. Let's have a show of hands, shall we? Who... Well, who believes Boris Johnson was telling the truth yesterday? (laughs) <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. 
Uh, that was my colleague Fiona Bruce asking a yes. question time audience if any of them believed Boris Johnson when he was being questioned by MPs this week about what happened in Partygate. I just want to check with our panel. Did any of you believe Boris Johnson? Stick your hand up if you thought he was telling the truth. I'll put it half up and you can half explain Half up from why. Andy Street. OK, well, maybe ask him to implain. Um, what about you, Michael Gove? Did you believe what Boris Johnson said to MPs this week? Yes, I did. Do you think he's always told the truth? Uh, I think that uh, all of us will at some point have told a white lie or an untruth. But I think the fundamental thing here, and again, you know, the Privileges Committee will make up its own mind, it's looked at all of the evidence, but um, what was Boris's argument? He was working incredibly hard uh, every hour that the Lord sent in order to try to do the right thing. He believed that uh, saying thank you to people who were leaving in the uh, cramped and confined circumstances of 10 Downing Street was part of that job. Did he attend those events in a spirit of self-indulgence? No, he did so in order to show uh, his gratitude to those who were working with him. Um, it will be for the Privileges Committee to decide, for um, members of Parliament to decide, but I worked with Boris during that mm -hmm. period and I am inclined to give him not just the benefit of the doubt, but to believe that when he places his hand on his heart, and he says he did not think that he was breaking the rules. I do believe him. The government has been keen to focus this week on a crackdown on antisocial behaviour. Part of their plans is a ban on laughing gas, despite an independent panel arguing against that course of action. Gove, however, was adamant that the ban was necessary to protect public spaces. Part of that, we understand, is that laughing gas, yes. which some people use to give them a high, is set to be banned. Yes. Now, is that true? And why are you doing that when the independent panel that looks at these things on behalf of the government says it's disproportionate to ban it? Well, uh, we're doing it because if you walk through any urban park, you will see these little silver canisters, which are the evidence of people regarding public spaces as arenas for drug taking. That is unacceptable. Um, people should uh, feel that those spaces are being looked after in a way which means that they are safe for children, that they are not the recourse for people who want to engage in this sort of antisocial behaviour. Uh, this drug is one that can have an intoxicating and potentially damaging effect on uh, young brains and young nervous systems. So we need to stop it. The advisory committee offers advice, mm -hmm. but ministers ultimately decide. And uh, Rishi Sunak and the Home Secretary have been clear, and I agree with them, mm -hmm. that we need to draw a line. You know, they, 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 there tends to be this approach that, oh, it's only minor or, you know, uh, let people let off steam. No, these are public spaces that should be safe and orderly. Once you begin mm -hmm. to retreat from these public spaces, once you say anything goes, mm -hmm. then, as we know, what uh, uh, appear to be small infringements mm -hmm. turn into a greater degree of lawlessness. There's a theory, the so-called broken windows theory, that mm -hmm. describes this behaviour. If you tolerate low-level disorder, then you lose the attractiveness and security that everyone has a right to expect in public spaces. Okay. The impartiality of the BBC has been a subject of much debate recently after Gary Lineker's political tweets caused him to be temporarily suspended from Match of the Day. Labour's Lucy Powell told Sophie Ridge that the BBC faces many challenges and its future is uncertain, but that having a publicly funded broadcaster in this country is critical. Uh, now, I want to talk to you with your Shadow Culture Secretary hat on because you're launching an independent review panel into the BBC. Uh, one of the things that you want it to look into is ensuring the BBC is independent of government. Do you think the BBC is independent of government right now? 
Well, I think there are some perception uh, challenges, at, at least, uh, in that regard. And the reason that I've launched uh, this uh, independent review panel today with some very preeminent uh, people from the industry working with uh, me who are going to make recommendations and, and advise Labour on the future uh, direction is because the BBC does face a number of headwinds. But we're, we're sure that as the Labour Party that we support a universally funded uh, public service uh, publicly funded uh, broadcaster in this country. We think that's absolutely critical. But there are a number of headwinds that it faces. It's got a charter renewal uh, coming up. There are constant questions around its future funding. Uh, this government have, have basically put the BBC uh, under threat in terms of its, its future uh, funding. Its independence and impartiality is constantly uh, being questioned and at the centre of, of culture wars. And, of course, in the, in the streaming age, the platform age, the social media age that we are now living in, there are big challenges for the BBC. And that's why I want this panel at this stage uh, to really do some deep uh, policy work for Labour on these issues so that we can secure the future of the BBC, not just to survive, but to thrive uh, into the next generation. I'm still a little bit unclear on what the answer to the initial question was about the independence of the BBC? Because you say that there's a perception issue. Uh, you said that the independence is being questioned. Do you think it's independent of government? You've called for the chairman, Richard Sharp, to resign. Well, I think that there are have been serious issues uh, lately. Obviously, there are a number of issues around the appointment process of the of the chair, which is now under investigation because I asked for that investigation because quite clearly uh, the relationship between uh, the, the chair that was appointed and the then prime minister was was one a lot closer and involved a lot of uh, financial. Uh, issues that we weren't aware of at the time, the appointment of other members of, of the board of the BBC, but also this keeping, I think, what we've seen from this government in particular is, is keeping uh, the BBC at heel by constantly threatening uh, its future. So this time last year, the then Culture Secretary, Nadine Doris, said that the licence fee settlement would be the last uh, licence fee as we know it. Uh, and that, that some, in the future there would be some other way of funding the BBC, yet they've said nothing about that. They were supposed to bring in a media bill to secure prominence of the BBC. Uh, they've not uh, done that. There are constant threats that are hanging over the BBC and, and the charter renewal coming up in the next few years okay. is, is another one, which I Just think is a way in which that the, this government is trying to keep uh, its foot on the throat of the BBC. Lucy Powell also spoke to Laura Koonsberg about the World Athletics Federation's recent decision to ban trans women from competing in women's events. Powell said she believed in the principle of inclusion where it can be achieved, but that she largely agreed with the Federation's decision in order to protect fair competition. I want to just finally ask you about another issue. So sure. you're in charge of culture and media for the Labour Party, but also sports. Um, now, this week we saw the World Athletics Federation make a decision, controversial to many people, um, called for by many others. They made a decision to ban trans women from comp competing in women's events. Should other sports follow that example? Well, other sports have been following uh, that example. So they and should? I think, I think, look, it is for sporting uh, governing bodies to look at these issues, and it is particular to different uh, sports. And I think, for me, the principles are absolutely inclusion, where inclusion can be achieved, 
uh, fairly uh, and with fair competition and not where that puts uh, safety issues uh, at risk. So certainly some sports like athletics, uh, rugby, cycling and so on, you can't achieve inclusion with fair competition and meeting those safety barriers. But there are other sports, equestrian or snooker or darts and other sports like that where you can achieve uh, inclusion with, without putting those other things at risk. So, so that's why uh, sports governing bodies should look at these issues themselves uh, closely. But, you know, and they're difficult issues to resolve. But I support the, the action that, that World Athletics has taken this week. And finally, amid the ongoing cost of living crisis, OBR chair Richard Hughes gave Koonsberg a fairly pessimistic forecast for the economy, saying that the public's real spending power wouldn't return to pre-pandemic levels until the late 2020s. How would you describe the overall state of the economy? I think we're seeing clearly the biggest squeeze on living standards we face in this country on record. But we do expect as we get past this year and we go into the next three or four years, that real income starts to recover. But it's still the case that um, people's real spending power doesn't get back to the level it was before the pandemic, even after five years, even by the time we get to the late 2020s. That's so grim, though. You're saying it might be another five or even six years until people start feeling better off again. That's right, based on our latest forecast, and it's partly because UK growth has been held back by a range of supply constraints on some of the key drivers of growth. We've lost around 500,000 people from the labour force. We've seen stagnant investment since 2016. And also our productivity has slowed dramatically since the financial crisis not really recovered. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman, and this podcast was produced by Joe Beadle Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And... If you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily Evening Blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with a diary and an analysis. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.